This is a podcast from the Royal Court Theatre. The following content may contain strong language. Welcome back to the third series of the Royal Court Theatre Playwrights Podcast with me, Simon Stevens. The first time I saw Zinni Harris's Royal Court debut play, Nightingale and Chase, I was in prison. Specifically, I was in Wandsworth Prison in South London, where I was representing the Royal Court as the theatre staged the production of her study of the injustices that underpin domestic violence to a hushed and clearly affected prison population. While it was an experience I cherished, Nightingale and Chase, a forensic miniature, is, I would argue, unrepresentative of Harris's body of work. She's been a presence in the new writing scenes of her home country of Scotland and in London alike. In that time, I can think of no writer who was drawn so fully and with such imagination from the classical canon of dramatic literature. Harris's plays are creatures steeped in their dramatic past. Although so established in the artistic terrain of Scotland that the 2017 Edinburgh International Festival Theatre Programme was built around a trio of her productions, she was born in Oxford and went on to study zoology at the university there. This is quite definitely a subject we will be returning to. Her first professional production, By Many Wounds, was at the Hampstead Theatre in 1999. Her Further Than The Furthest Thing was produced at the Tron, Glasgow in 2000, before a successful transfer to the National Theatre. I saw Further Than The Furthest Things before I saw Nightingale and Chase, actually. I saw it in an actual theatre as well, the National's Cottesloe, rather than the prison wing. A writer just starting out on my working life, I was inspired by the extremity of imagination and the wealth of her language as she dramatised the catastrophe of the 1961 volcanic eruption on the island of Tristan da Cunha. She wrote a remarkable trio of plays for the Royal Shakespeare Company in the middle of the noughts, Solstice, Fall and the Astonishing Midwinter. Midwinter, like Further Than the Furthest Thing, is one of the most celebrated and widely produced plays of this century. She directed the play herself, and in so doing found a way of staging her suggestion that the play starts with her heroine dragging the carcass of her dead horse across the stage. Direction in the last decade has become an important strand to her work. She won the Critics Circle Scotland Award for Best Direction for her production of Carol Churchill's A Number. She's won a fistful of awards for her writing as well as her direction. She's written for radio and television. She's a professor at the University of St Andrews. She's written adaptations of Ibsen, The Doll's House at the Donmar Warehouse in 2008, and of The Master Builder, which she retitled The Fall of the Master Builder, at Sheffield in 2017. In 2019, we'll see the premiere of her adaptation of Webster's The Duchess of Malfi. Her most enthusiastically celebrated recent work, This Restless House in 2016, was a widely acclaimed adaptation of the Oresteia. Classical heritage sits in her own original work as freshly as in those adaptations. I was stunned by her first play in the theatre downstairs here at the court, 2016's How to Hold Your Breath, an inversion of the Faust myth. It starred Maxine Peake as a woman fleeing into a crumbling Europe from the dead hands of the devil. Her most recent new play, Meet Me at Dawn, was staged at the Traverse as part of the International Festival in that summer of Harris. 
It took its cue from the myth of Orpheus and Eurydice as a couple tried to make sense of the incomprehensibility of grief. I read it in a cafe in Shoreditch where it made me sob, actually sob, big heavy shoulder sobs and cry tears down my face. She turned me into a dickhead in a room full of hipsters, and I could never have been more grateful. Cindy Harris, welcome to Oh, the thank Court. you. What a lovely, lovely introduction. I don't know whether to blush or... Kind of, but yeah. It was an amazing thing, reading that play. Did you, and, uh, did you read it just recently? Yeah, yeah. Just, oh. just in the last six months, yeah. and I just really cried like a bastard, so mm. thanks for that. Mm. <laughs> it was a funny one, I yeah. Mean, crying, yeah. crying as I read is something that I do more and more the older I get. Yes, <laughs> yes, it's easier, isn't it, somehow, one's got less kind of barrier or exactly. something. Yeah, yeah. I the, think um, you weren't the only person that made that, that play, and actually what it was sort of... It, it, there was such a kind of collective grief going on in many ways, I sort of mm. felt at that time. But yeah. when it was on at the Travis, I got a lot of lovely letters from people sort of saying, oh, you know, I lost my wife three yeah. months ago or whatever. And I, and at first I kind of thought, oh, God, the responsibility of this. But actually, the more I got, I, I felt actually that this is going down OK with people that are very close to that experience. Yeah, so. I mean, you kindle a generosity and a gratitude, mm. you know. People, we never talk about it, do we? It's the one thing, yeah. the one inevitability yeah. in all of human existence is yeah. the one thing we're most embarrassed about yeah. talking about. Yeah, yeah. And somehow, you know, those kind of close relationships that go on for years, you get so used to having, yeah. the, you know, the idea that you will just still have tomorrow and you'll be able to keep talking or whatever, yeah. and then the idea that suddenly it's gone it's and you gone, don't yeah. get to finish it. So. Well, I think yeah. you dramatised it with astonishing clarity. <laughs> I always ask normally, I normally ask... The, uh, the same first question to everybody yeah. because I'm that imaginative yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is um, when was the first time that you went to the theatre? Um, so I was lucky I had a mum that, that was keen on the theatre and, and sort of I think probably because my dad wasn't as interested in theatre was kind of quite keen to have someone to take so oh, I think nice. it was probably about four or five oh, really? and we were living in Reading and yeah. she had tickets to go and see Godspell, the David Essex thing, and so she took me. <laughs> and she, and she, I think that's right, and she ha got these sort of tickets that you got to meet the cast afterwards. Oh and so gosh. not only did, and I remember sitting there thinking, this is just amazing, and the yeah. music and the story and, you know, blah, blah. And we went and met them afterwards, and I, and I, at that point in my life, I wanted to be an actress, aged five. That was what I was going to be. And I was talking to this um, uh, actress who, who'd been in it, and there'd been a particular song where she wore feathers in her hair and, you know, did this kind of big number. And I was asking her all kinds of questions about how they'd staged it and why they'd done that and why did it finish like that and she said what do you want to be and I said I want to be an actress and she said no you won't be an actress you'll be making shows you'll either be a writer or a director oh, really? which is quite interesting and she also she wrote in my program and she wrote um one day you'll wear those feathers little lady and I and actually you know that year when I had three shows at the international festival I thought actually I'm wearing those feathers and it was just a really nice kind oh, of sense God. that you know anyway so That's so that really was beautiful. that was probably the first do you still have it you still got that program? probably somewhere in the kind of you know archive of time under some you know did you, did bed you go, at my parents' house. Did you but, go often with your mum? Yeah, and then, of course, yeah. we, you know, my parents moved to Scotland when I was uh, a kid, and so that we had the fringe, right. fringe in the festival. And yeah. so, you know, my mum used to take a punt on a lot of stuff, and actually not always children's stuff. So, you know, I remember she took us to Michael Clark dance, you know, oh, me and my wonderful. sister. I think yeah. I was nine and my sister was two, and it yeah. was 
I don't think she realised this when she bought the tickets, but it was kind of life-size dildos dancing and, you know, and she kind of, but she would just take us to whatever she fancied, she fancied seeing, you know. So we, we saw, we saw a lot and we kind of saw, you know, Ninagawa when he was doing, you know, Medea. She, yeah, so it was brilliant. And, it, you know, those, so it was not only the Scottish work during the year, but it was also those big international productions and that kind of European aesthetic. And, yeah. yeah. So I was really lucky. In that, that's yeah. really, uh, yeah. really exciting. Yeah. The, uh, do you remember that moment of displacement or the moment of arrival in Scotland? Is that something that must be very vivid to you? I remember yeah. arriving. So I was seven, going on eight, and I remember going into the new school, thinking, oh, "What if I don't know what the playground games are?" And uh-huh. um, when I got, apparently, I came home after the after the first week, and I was really worried about it. And I said, "It's okay. They play the same games. They just call them different things." <laughs> and then I was fine. So it was sort of like I think, uh, you know, in Reading it was Tig, and in Scotland it was It or something. Yeah, and it was right, the same the right, same game. And right. but I think the first few days I couldn't understand a word probably, but. <laughs> I like that as a kind of definition of cultural difference. Like, which spans, they yes. play the same games; they just call them different yeah, things. No, that's right. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, it fundamentally applies to everything. Yeah, it's the same yeah. Shit. It's just yeah, different yeah. names. Yeah. The uh, were you a big reader as a child? I yeah yeah I was I I, I suppose I was I, mean, I was quite studious at school. Um, I think I had in terms of sort of theatre and writing because you know I went on to. Do science and well, as you said, yeah, my introduction. No, I'm coming and we'll, to that. I'm coming, but, listen, but, listen, yeah. believe me, we've got half an okay, hour. Okay, fine, that. fine, fine. <laughs> but, but before that, I mean, I think actually at that that same year that we moved to Edinburgh, I had a, a teacher, class teacher, who was just very inspired and also interested in theatre. Yeah. And she did this brilliant thing where she said, because Scotland weather is so atrocious, you'd do anything to stay in at break time, but we were always sent out. But she said that a particular group of people every week, cho- she would choose one person from the class, and they could choose other people and they would spend all their lunchtime breaks making a show that they'd show on Friday. And everybody in the year would get their turn. And I knew when my term would be, and it was about two and a half months' time. And I remember going to sleep every night leading up to this, planning my play. And I was eight, and what it was going to be. And just, and I think I, I met somebody who was in that kind of class the other day and said, Do you remember that amazing thing that teacher did? And she was like, What? And, you know, it didn't mean anything to anybody else. But to me, it was like the event of that year was, was kind of the chance to make a little play and, and do it with your sort of... Do you remember anything about the play that you made? It, well, oddly, it was, it was allegorical. That's all I can remember is that it was Adam and Eve and it had an apple in it. But, wow. you know, but at that end of the day, I can't remember. I actually think it's absolutely rubbish. Thing. But <laughs> stop doing <laughs> the same thing. Classical allegory. The same thing. Isn't it weird? Yeah, I know. It's, it's, not, yeah. it's really... What's really interesting is doing these conversations is how often... The, the initial stories that people tell yeah. or are engaged in in childhood yeah. are the ones they yeah. return to throughout their working life. Yeah, I guess actually. it's it's yeah something very deep in your unconscious that you're drawn yeah. to, isn't it, or something? Kind the, of, uh, yeah. Something Stephen Jeffries, who's loomed very strong yeah. for me in these conversations mm. this season, mm. always said to me was that was that writers have. Uh, it's not true that writers reinvent the stories every time they write. They have defining myths that they return to obsessively. Yes, yes. And the, the powerful thing to do, yes. the empowering thing to do, rather, is identify what that myth is so you can yes. attack it afresh each time. Yeah. And uh, well, I don't know what, you, you know, we'll, yes. I'm sure we'll kick yours around yeah. over the next yeah. hour or so, <laughs> yes. but tell me about zoology. <laughs> tell you about zoology. No, so, so you, went mm, to, you, mm. you, went, you went up to secondary school in Scotland, you stayed mm-hmm. in Scotland for No, a uh, I sort of moved around a bit schools-wise, but 
okay. yeah. And so, and 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 I had another great uh, drama teacher who in um, uh, sixth form let me direct the the sixth form play. So I did Tea in a China Cup, and that was the beginning of directing and, and the beginning of sort of first thing I directed. Yeah. And we took it to the fringe, and you know. Were so you in, so where were you there? Were you in Scotland? Then? No, so I was I was down south, but we we came up to the fringe, right. and so and so the, by the time I arrived at at Oxford, I suppose I had. I sort of, even though I was doing science, I, I sort of had this other thing that I was kind of plugged into. Mm. Um, mm. But and did you yeah, have so other? Were you reading other forms as well? Was it mainly theatre? Were you, were you reading yeah. like no. hungrily or just theatre? Well, I was I was so what I was reading, I suppose, yeah. as a teenager was. Um, I mean, I was reading mm. um, novels and stuff, but I remember. I mean, my dad was always into science fiction, and he yeah. had a lot of sort of Isaac Asimov and oh, and wow. you know, and I remember you know books like Flowers for Algernon and yeah. there's an amazing story called um, Let's Go to Golgotha do you know that? No uh, Is that an Asimov? It, no it's who is it? It's uh, Gary Kilworth I think right. uh, but he, and it's it's one of those stories that you know which I think is something I try to do in my own plays kind of turns the world on its head right. so basically it's this idea of this uh, time travel tour group and you go back to the moment of Christ's crucifixion and you so you, you you're given this little um uh introduction of what how to dress and how to behave and you're going to be in the crowd wow. and you're told that when they say who should we release you've got to shout barabbas uh and and uh i'm gonna hopefully i'm gonna get this right but anyway um when they get into the crowd they but they're told they mustn't be the first person to shout it and of course when they get into the crowd they are the first person and what they realize is that if they hadn't shouted it first it would have gone another way and in fact the whole thing you know and i just sort of love those those sort of stories where you kind of go and so and then they come back to their world and they go oh my god we actually created all of this modern life and everything that's followed and all the wars about religion everything came from us time traveling and i just remember that sort of experience of kind of coming out of a story and going oh my god that's completely and i think that i love it when theatre does that that. that's completely uh it just makes you look at everything that you think you know about the world in a different way and and revisit all the things about your structure that seem solid i mean and and i think sometimes i'm drawn to those kind of stories i mean you you mentioned um how to hold your breath and that was one of the things i was very deliberately trying to do and sort of say what if we challenge the notion that we're secure you know we feel so secure we feel like we're we anyway we live this western life and but yes i'm i'm fascinated by just as we move forward through the chronology um the relationship between the rigour and forensic intelligence that's required to apply to a narrative structure like that, yeah. and the rigour and forensic intelligence of a scientist. You see, that I was trying to get you off zoology. You've come back, that haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm really what, 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 were you? Were you? Did you? What A levels did you do, for example? Uh, biology, chemistry, and maths. Right. So, and really, I think the way I was headed was medicine. Right. And I just chickened out last minute, and I'd sometimes kind of—I mean, for a long time. 
when I was in my sort of 20s and 30s, I did think, is it too late? Should I go back? You know, I mean, it was a real kind of... Mm. And I kind of think I would have quite enjoyed... I mean, I don't think I'd enjoy the NHS, but I think there's a part of me that a lot of my friends are doctors and I'm quite yeah. drawn to sort of... Somebody says, you know, in the family that's got something wrong with them, I'm like, ooh, ooh well, let's find out what it is, you know. But um, My son told me something, my eldest told me something astonishing this week that, that I'm reminded of, but he texted me. This is the kind of thing that your teenagers will grow up to do when they're in their 20s. They'll text you things like this. He texted me to say that in ancient Greek culture, the theatre was always next door to the hospital, oh. which I didn't know that, and I love that idea. Wow. That there was, a, in the city, yeah, yeah, yeah. there was a they structural relationship yeah, between yeah. the hospital and the yeah, theatre. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're both places that we go to make ourselves better in yes, some way. Yes, well, that's right. They're versions of healing, aren't they? Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But you so shied I sort away of from I, Yeah, I didn't, I didn't go for it in the end, and then I had these science A levels and I, I enjoyed science I mean I really did and I was mm. you know I particularly enjoyed chemistry mm. and, and biology um, and kind of thought well what do I do yeah. and you know I didn't have English A levels so all those options had, had shut down yeah. um, so I, I got into Oxford to do biology bracket zoology I didn't do right. any plant options right. and I and I liked it yeah. I mean you know so it, and I, I was quite theoretical so my dad is a is a um, entomologist this is hence Maybe you don't know this about me, you but this, hence my name. So an entomologist is someone who studies insects. And so right. he, my entire life, he has been looking down a microscope. Every holiday, you know, we go to somewhere where the insects are good and he collects insects while me and my mum and my sister read. This was childhood holidays. We would That's read so paperbacks on the side of a hill in France and he'd be off with his net. And slightly driving my mum crazy because he'd come back with hundreds of caterpillars that he'd then have to feed and, you know, it'd be a nightmare and we'd be camping, so where the hell are they going to go and all this kind of stuff. But, and, and actually, when I went to Oxford, and it sort of slight understood, tolerated, but slightly, not exactly disregarded, but just kind of, you know, it was kind of going on. But when I got to Oxford, I actually discovered he's a really serious scientist and there, there were all these papers and my tutors were kind of going, oh, you know, that's Mark Shaw's daughter in the class and I was like oh god I have to take this a bit more seriously <laughs> tell uh, me about your relation because you said you probably know this about my name our name so my zinni is short for Zerinthia, which um, is the name of a butterfly so um so me and my sister got butterfly names and um what's your sister called Melatia. Uh, That's beautiful. But so, and, and she she calls it Mel. And I mean, yeah. neither of us really use our. I mean, I find Zerinthia it's quite, quite a name to kind of carry <laughs> off. Zinni is sort of easier, although it's kind of quite nice sometimes. But I think people, whenever I did, whenever I have used it, people's expectation is of this woman that's going to walk in that's really exotic and you know, it's got this long flowing hair and wears these wonderful clothes, and I just feel like such a disappointment. So I die. <laughs> But um, so so that was kind of in my background. Mm. And my dad, of course, is a proper natural historian. He, he went on from butterflies and is now parasitic wasps is the thing and has been the thing for, for many years. And I think, and I wasn't, at, I mean, I'm hopeless practically. And, you know, we had to go on these field trips and I would kill them all by sitting them and dropping them, you know, just sort of rubbish at it. But I, I was quite interested theoretically, yeah. so I quite like neurobiology and, and yeah. sort of that kind of stuff. So, um, and um, and I did my, there was a third year um, uh, uh, project we had to do, and I, because I was interested in neurobiology, mm. I thought I'd do it on this, on cockroaches and the development of flight. And I went to see this, my tutor, and I said I got quite interested. To, and he, he sat there and he just threw this cockroach at me. 
And I caught it. And he said, oh, you'd be fine. That was a test, you know, because people that kind of go, ah! No. But, so, so I kind of passed the first test and then I was doing these experiments with, with cockroaches and locusts and the whatever. And, and normally what you did in the zoology buildings is you went down to the bottom of the, the building to a room six floors below anywhere called the insect breeding rooms with your, with your jar and said, I want, you know, four instar, four yeah. cockroaches or whatever. And the guy who worked there would give them to you. But one day he wasn't there. So I went, so I went up to my tutor and said, oh, he's not there. I can't, I can't do any work today. He said, no, no, here's the keys. Just help yourself. So I'm going down the stairs thinking, it's okay, I'm an entomologist's daughter. It's fine, it's fine, it's fine. So locusts and cockroaches. Locusts swarm. And they are, they're bred in this room in these kind of double wheelie bin type things. So I just went over and, you know, with my little, me on my own, my glasses, my whatever, lifted the thing. And about 100,000 locusts just came at me. Jesus Christ. And I kind of thought, well, he didn't quite put me through that test, you know. Anyway, so, um, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's... So these were my days. <laughs> doing this sort That's of like stuff. That's like the scene from a Sydney Harris play, to be fair. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> kind of yes. experimenting know, and kind of allegory as well. And the just, I remember the feeling of standing there thinking, how do I get out of this room and all these locusts off me? How, you know, will this last We're forever? We're letting them out of the well, just, room, presumably. I'm not sure that that happened. But <laughs> just, did I ever close that lid or did I just run? I don't know. Oh, but, my uh, gosh. <laughs> the, uh, were you, because you are Oxford. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which clearly has a, a, a very healthy kind of theatrical yes. scene. Were you part of well, that at all? Did you? Oddly, I wasn't. And I was sort of thinking, I don't... I think I sort of... I did do uh, something in the... I mean, I did a lot of theatre, but I went yeah. around Ouds. So I, I remember sort of knocking on their door and saying, I want to do this, whatever. And, and Ouds is Ouds. Ouds. So there's Oxford a University of Society, Society, which yeah. is the big thing, and yeah. I think everything sort of goes... Yeah. And I, I, I suppose... Maybe I didn't quite fit or something, or the mm-hmm. plays I wanted to do. Or, um, so I did one thing with them, and then I just thought, oh, well, sod it, I'm just going to do my own thing. So I was just doing it in, in kind of church halls and, and doing a lot of theatre, but really sort of striking out on on my own. What kind of stuff were you doing? What kind of stuff were you doing? <laughs> I mean, I was, what was I doing? I did a, uh, not not new writing. I mean, right. that's not the weird thing, plays. isn't it? Certainly not my own plays. Right. And not even when I was at Hull was I doing right. my own plays. Right. I was I was with um, John then, who we, we later got married, and, and, you know, so there was always mm. a sort of role for him. So we were doing things, I mean, crazy things. We were doing musicals and we were doing you know, a medieval morality play that we turned into a musical and, you know, just sort of <laughs> nuts, really, but but these right. sort of extravaganza kind of things. Um, this was at Hull rather than Oxford. That was at Oxford. That and was, yeah, and okay. then I went to Hull at the yeah. end of Oxford, so yeah. I got to the end of my three years and I thought, well, what am I going to do now? Am yeah. I going to go on? And because, because, oddly, the cockroaches had gone quite well, the guy said, do you want to stay on and, you know, do some research and do a PhD sort of thing? And I just sort of said, they well... lost all the locusts. <laughs> <laughs> Because they'd all gone. I left the I left the bin open. (laughs) Oxford is still wondering why they've why they've got a locust in that station. (laughs) Started in the early (laughs) nineties. That's brilliant. (laughs) Anyway. So, uh, so, <laughs> the, <laughs> so I went to. I just blagged my way onto an M lit basically in in Hull. Right. But so you, you decided you didn't want to. I said to him, "Can yeah. you give me a year? I want right. to go and to find out about this theatre thing. And will you write me a reference to go and do this course in Hull?" Mm. And he said, "Well, tell me what you want me to write in the in your reference because you know I don't I don't know yeah. what I can say yeah. that will." And, yeah. and um, 
so I went up and I went up with my early, early one morning. I had to get trains. God, no, Hull mm. to Oxford is not easy. And, and I arrived with a sort of, you know, sort of suitcase full of, of production photos. And, you oh, know, and, wow. and just and yeah. they said to me later, we just had to give you a place because you knew nothing, but you had so much enthusiasm. <laughs> and I was just like, and then this kind of crazy thing we did. And 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 they were brilliant for me because. You know, I didn't. I didn't have English A level. I, I hardly heard of anything. I just loved theatre, and they said, "Why don't you go to some of the undergraduate lectures while you're here?" And I even wrote some of the undergraduate essays, and, and as well as doing the MA, so that I just got. I mean, I still have a very patchy, and I have massive holes in some ways, but I just got enough of a kind of structure of what yeah. the last hundred years of drama had, yeah. been, had been happening that I I could kind of navigate my way through it. And that, yeah, and they were brilliant and loving and, you know, sort of took this slightly odd, oddly shaped person and kind of mm. steered me a bit. It's um, really interesting that you identify holes in your yeah. canonical understanding. Yeah. I think all writers do. Yeah. It's yeah. the real truth. Yeah. Of it. Prob- you know, probably. there was part of me when I was here, yeah. resident, uh, when I was resident here, I assumed that all writers knew every other play yes. that had been written. Yes. I was the only one who didn't. But yes. I think all writers have massive holes yes. in their canon. Yes. What's fascinating is that in your work, there's been like such a brilliant attempt to investigate those yeah. holes. Well, maybe. You know, you go back yeah. to that canon yeah. to kind of generate new material. Yeah. When did you write your first play? So, so in, I mean, pff, in Hull, I had a little Apart attempt. Apart when you were yeah. eight years old, you made the, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> the Adam I remember, I remember in Hull, though, sort of, you know, there was a new writing option yeah. that I could have done. Yeah. And I remember, because, you know, at that point in my life, I wanted to be a director. That was all I was about. And I mm. remember sort of thinking, why would anybody bother to write a new play? You know, haven't we got plenty of, yeah. of plays? And, right. and being quite sort of... And it was only really after that then I, I'm, we moved back to Edinburgh... With John, we sort of um, started basically because my parents were still in Edinburgh, so we could sort of live somewhere cheaply, mm. and started sort of thinking how we're going to make this happen. And and um, and I was hanging around the Travers and knocking on their door and yeah. and kind of saying, you know, can I come and direct a reading? Can I do this? What and year was this roughly? Ninety five, ninety six. I was, I was yeah. there similar time. Were you? Yeah, I moved to Edinburgh after I left York. Did you? Wow. With what was the name of that brilliant? Ian Brown was yeah. artistic director. Yeah, that's right. And the brilliant dramaturg Ella. I, yeah. Wildridge. Ella Wild. Is she still alive? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank God. Yeah, that was yeah, a nervous yeah, question. Yeah. No, no, no. She was the Her. first person in professional theatre who ever had a cup of tea with me. Yeah. The yeah. fabled cup of yeah, tea. Yeah, yeah, She's absolutely. Well, she did exactly the same for me. Yeah. And I went to a workshop that David Gregg and Stephen Greenhorn ran. Rock stars. And <laughs> they kind of said, oh, why don't you come and write something for the, the kind of uh, bar, evening, cabaret evening in the bar? So oh, they kind brilliant. of went, oh, that, that's quite interesting. Yeah. Um, and also because I was trying to direct plays, the Travis would say, well, why don't you look at this and give us some feedback or whatever, But mm. or even read. And, and I'd be reading these very new plays by people and I'd be kind of thinking, well, why don't they put that speech there and that speech there? And why no. didn't they? And then I just thought, well, maybe maybe I should just try to write a play and, right. and then it would solve the fact that I can't get a directing gig and it will, you know, just sort of make everything a bit easier if I have Can a I play. Can I backpedal yeah. slightly to hold? Yeah. Because in my... Adult memory. Uh, it was Marianne Elliott. So, as well. she, I think she was, I and Indu. Yeah. I don't think I crossed. 
well, Marianne, I wasn't, I don't know what year she was there, because I was a postgrad. Right. I think they were all there as undergraduates. Right. Although, I mean, one of the brilliant things about being a postgrad at Hull was that your job was to kind of play, because a wonderful working studio, theatre, mm. play with the undergrads, put on as many shows as you mm. want. But even more brilliantly, um, they had a working radio studio, and you oh, could great. sign up on a Sunday and make a five-minute oh, radio great. play. Oh, great. So, um so yeah, so it was just yeah. kind of go, go, do. Well, I remember one of the things Marianne has said quite publicly this year uh, is that uh, when she was starting out, she said it on Desert Island Disc, no less, which is nearly <laughs> as good as the Royal Court Playwrights <laughs> podcast. Nearly has as many lessons. <laughs> you know, not quite. <laughs> the, uh, but she was saying um, uh, that she didn't realise that it was possible for women to be directors because uh, she didn't know any. Uh, which okay. makes me think she didn't pay any fucking attention at all. Because yeah. if you and Indu were there... Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, but that wasn't yeah. ever an issue for you. You didn't feel that same sense of entitlement or sense of lack of entitlement that Marianne identifies. Uh, I don't think so. I no. mean, I don't think I really sort of encountered what the, what the gender thing meant until a bit further on in my career. I mm. think it was just about getting any kind of gig at all, really, yeah, felt. Right. And, then, and then I kind of... A bit further down the track, I was a bit... I got... It was frustrating for me because I got well known as a writer right. long before I had any kind of track record as a director, and yeah. so and I kind of kept, you know, turning up to theatres and sort of going, "Oh, I'd like to direct as well, please." And you know, and everybody sort of say, "Well, you know, can't possibly give you that opportunity, but come and write a play for the," right. you know, and, and it took a while to get both things back in sort of relationship. Do to you them. consider them to be equal for you? Well, I mean, equal in terms of. Uh, I don't know, quite equal. I mean, I I, I spend more of my working year writing for sure but I think I think as much of my ambition is you know and I I, you know I'm I'm directing Duchess of Malfi uh, for the Lyceum and you know and I'm really engaged with those I think increasingly I'm starting to enjoy directing more and more and kind of finding my feet with it Um, but but it's maybe also true that I know what I'm doing a wee bit more with writing so maybe it's not taking the sort of I I don't know I mean you know Mm -hmm. I don't know whether I'm not quite sure about that. Because there's a, an ownership or confidence over the writing. Maybe, the, the yes. The newness and the yes. energy of yes. discovery yes. and direction. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Yeah. So, um, so you wrote yeah. your... You, so I wrote... I, I, I yes. love the idea of your forensic analysis of other people's places. The scientists, you see, the possibly, zoologists. Possibly. I'm going to yes. insist yes. with this. Okay, this fine, 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 fine. Yes, absolutely. The next half hour, yes. I'm going to be going back <laughs> yes. to this. Yes. <laughs> the, um, discovering other people's plays and then curing them like a doctor. Kind of take that... <laughs> But, and then that led you to want to write. Yes. How did that go? How was that for you? The first, so, you remember your first memories of writing for the first time? Yeah. So I, I got a book out the library called How to, uh, How to Write a Play. Mm. Uh, and I wrote a first play for... There was a kind of festival thing that was partly run through the Travis and partly run through... Um, uh, the Bedlam Theatre. Do you remember the Bedlam yeah, Theatre? Yeah, of course I do. Yeah, Fedfest. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, this is how I started in Edinburgh as well. Yeah, through the Bedlam and through yeah, yeah. That's extraordinary. So um, I wrote a play there called Milady Malad, uh, and um, Ella was very good about it and and gave me lots of notes and feedback, and mm. we took it on to the Fringe, and then the Travis commissioned me to write a fifteen-minute short play that turned into a long play, and then. Jack Bradley came to do a workshop yeah. during the festival and he, we had to send in 20 minute things so I sent the first 20 minutes of this longer play and he rang me up and said I'm going to give you a National Theatre Studio Commission and 
that and I was suddenly like oh my god maybe because I'm still only really at that point in my head I'm only really writing plays to get a directing gig <laughs> so then I was like oh Jesus I've got to you know I've got to write a proper play now so, that's extraordinary um, the, the analogies with not with your, yeah the similarities not analogies between your trajectory through the Edinburgh scene yes via Bedlam yes. Ella Wildritz the Trumpers yes. and then Jack Bradley yes same was, I was I think I started like a few years younger than you, I, I, yeah. I had a kind of hiatus, but in like 93, 94, 95, yeah. that was what I was doing. Yeah. And Jack was the first person to come and see anything that I'd written yes. and was just as encouraging. Yes, yes. Then. Yeah, the, uh, absolutely. The, uh, he's such an important kind of figure. Yeah. I think. The, um, so did well, you go down to London to, to, to for your National Theatre residency? It wasn't a residency, it was just a commission. Just a commission, great. Um, in fact, I didn't... I didn't particularly cover myself in glory with that commission and I think it was <laughs> it was too terrifying, you know. I was right. just sort of didn't really kind of know what I was about and wrote, rather than writing one play, kind of wrote three because I thought, well, then I'll have a choice about which one is, you know, I mean, it sort of went right. slightly nuts. Yeah. And then and then really the the first... So that, that 20 minutes that he'd seen, that yep. play was the play that you mentioned, my first play, By Many Wounds, that was right. professionally done. Wow. Although there's a disaster in that as well. But anyway, um, <laughs> so it was first done by Chelsea Centre. Oh, uh, right, okay. And, yeah, just um, the but but played one preview and closed. No! Yeah, that was That's my... Exciting. That was That's my... Like birthday party. <laughs> that was my um, <laughs> professional debut, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So... Um, I thought it was Hampstead. So then, yeah. thank God, Hampstead did it again and sort of rescued me from from sort of careering off the track of wow. having a career. So tell me but, how, you, how you got out of the quagmire of... Because this would be very familiar to a lot of writers who are listening to this. Yeah. Where you're trying to work on three different plays, but yeah. actually it's disorientating and distracting rather than... In, inspiring well I mean what was I I just I just didn't really know kind of what sort of play I could write or that they wanted or right. you know I just it wasn't on top of what I was about really I think um Were you and reading new plays by that stage it was such a kind of yes, like lively time for yes, playwriting yeah 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 I think I mean I think it's that sort of thing of you want the right sort of opportunity at the right moment and maybe it just felt very pressured and I felt quite exposed yeah, and and really I think what would have been better is if the Travis had given me a, a commission for a three quarter of an hour play and I could have done it quietly and you know so I just think it came at a, a, a moment of course it came right because within 18 months I'd written Fern the Furthest Thing and it went back to the National Theatre Studio so yeah. they kind of they were sort of still around and picked it up at the right nice. moment but that particular commission just kind of you know wasn't very good and got a reading and, and that was that yeah. um, but but so tell me then Chelsea about Center. the writing yeah oh, tell no. me yeah Tell me, tell me about the writing of By Many Wounds. So, By Many Wounds. Um, so, initially, I wrote it as a fif this fifteen minute for the Travis, um, and it was called Sounds Abrupt, mm. and it was um, the story of a girl whose sister has disappeared previously, seven years previously, just kind of completely disappeared, and they've, you know, uh, when she was fourteen, when the girl who disappeared was fourteen. And it's kind of the day that the mother has discovered that they found a body somewhere. So, oh, and it was about kind of marrying the um, idea of of so partly biographically, we knew someone. My, my parents had a, a great friend who disappeared, mm. and all my childhood, we still talked about her. We talked about her mm. as if the one day she might come back because there was just enough hope that she'd just kind of disappeared into the ether and sure. nothing was ever found. And so, 
even though I think everybody knew she was never coming back, yeah. we all kind of, certainly me and my sister's children, kind of had this idea that she was kind of in our family structure somewhere. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, actually when I was in Hull, uh, her body was found. And, and so it was kind of trying to do something with that experience, yeah. how you marry the, imagina- the imaginative version of the person that's still alive and well and happy somewhere with the reality that they're actually, you know, been dead under the ground for a long time. Um, and what that then does to your imagination well, of the then, previous time. Exactly, so, exactly. Yeah. And and how you and and the two images, one is so hope-filled and the other is so horrific and brutal and whatever and that you and 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 where does the person go? You know, where where is the real person because you don't want to have them here and that was obviously a, So it was something about that and it so it developed out of a 15-minute short into a full-length play and mm. um uh yeah, and then Hampstead did it. Debbie Seymour directed it. In the uh, end. How, did, how did Hampstead re- dis- save it from the, <laughs> the, <laughs> the jaws of sort of? I think uh, so. It, it closed because the actors. So I mean, it was utter disaster. The, the first set of actors <laughs> walked out halfway through, <laughs> and it's just very badly directed. Basically, somebody not by me, thank God, right. but somebody did just. I won't mention names, but just didn't know what he was doing. Undermined them, whatever, and so they walked out. So the next set of, of actors arrived and. Um, they, of course, were very stressed anyway because they only had a week before it was going yeah. on. And, you know, so it was sort of, it was just a disaster. Mm. But um, I think Mel must have sent it to right. to, to Hampstead and, right. and luckily they, they right. sort of... Yeah. Um, and then, and during that time, I had, I think by the time it went on at Hampstead, I had written for the for this thing and then I was in a... And that, of course, one... Was that a very different experience, writing those two plays, writing for the furthest thing? Um... By the time I wrote Further Than the Furthest Thing, I started to know what I was about, I think. Right. I think it was... I think Further Than the Furthest Thing was a kind of moment where I kind of thought, oh, this is actually... When I'm in when I'm in it, this can actually be quite easy. I mean, isn't it? Writing plays is never easy until it's yeah. done. But, but the actual writing of it felt... But both have... Both sort of drew on, on biographical experience in a way. I mean, you know, further and furthest thing, not my experience again, one step removed, but my mum's first five years of life was in Tristan de Kuna. She was, she was, and my grandfather had been the um, Church of England vicar that was sent there post-war as, I mean, as someone who'd survived the Second World War, been a chaplain to the front, had had quite a brutal experience, and I think, and so he was sent to this very calm little posting Probably we we might say these days he had a bit of PTSD. I don't know, but he was you know, and they he'd had anyway. So he he had this. Um, so they so my mum's life was there, and of course it was a very strange environment because there's only seven families, no no money, spoke this kind of Napoleonic dialect, you know, and all this yeah. kind of stuff. And then they came back and were getting on with the rest of their lives in in Britain. And then of course the community came over to Southampton after the volcano. So this was kind of a family story of these Tristan Islanders and, you know, and little snippets of what the Tristan Islanders would say about Mm. things and do. And, and, and I just felt it was there to be plundered really and to turn into a play. I mean, a gift of a story. What Um, was your actual process? Did you plan it? Were you uh, discovering as you were writing it? What was the process? Do you remember what the process was? Uh, I did a lot of research. I mean, I remember thinking that, I needed to find a way to, to to sort of give the sense that the Tristan Islanders belonged to a culture of their own and and a and a time of their own almost without making it seem that they were 
sort of less educated or you know and sure. I had to do a sort of careful thing that so yeah. I and I thought that the way I could do that is through language if I got it right but I only had a very few little snippets of of how they spoke and these were again family little sayings so I had to kind of use the family sayings and do a lot of reading and there were other things that were written that I kind of found I don't think I got any actual recordings I got lots of photos and mm. and some um uh, little films but without any sound and kind of construct something that would do that so the language took oh, a little bit of thinking about the language is so remarkable in that play oh, well thank you <laughs> but it, i mean it was <laughs> it was a, a, something i wrestled you, with that, yeah that, that you yeah exactly yeah that you were almost coining a whole new lexicon or, yeah. or grammar or, yeah yeah you know and, really astonishing but also too. there was something in the language that was also indicative i mean you know and you i'm sure you talk about this with with students when you teach that about the kind of voice of a character that actually when you get inside the way someone speaks it actually tells you about the way they think and so mm. when there was one of the snippets of of phrases that I had at the tristan islanders is we's from tristan and we's used to it and I really kind of, and I almost had that on my wall as I was writing, we's from Tristan and we's used to it. And what I felt about that, there was this sort of, you know, resolution of shit may happen, but we're a, but it wasn't a kind of, we're used to it and we're going to crumble, but we're used to it and we're going to kind of stand up to it. Right. But but we can't, we can't change it, you know. Yeah. And that became a kind of character note for, for, you know, the main characters as well. And so it was things like that that also informed the story in yeah, a way, absolutely. you know. absolutely. Um, yeah. The um, did you enjoy the success of that play? I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I say that because success can be dislocating or disorientating. Getting the first commission. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, I think what happens in those early days is you just think you fluked it. And yeah. you just then go into doubt about. Yes, I don't. Think, yeah, I, well, do I think that, or do I just think, oh, that's it now. I'll never do it again. Oh, yeah, actually, you're right. It's you're that. Right. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you get through the point where you no longer feel you fluke, <laughs> and you just think you've done your best stuff. Yeah, and that's right. And you know, maybe it's just that's all <laughs> that's behind exactly me now. Where I'm at now yeah, as well. exactly. Um, so you think you fluked it? I never had a moment. Where it was just like, yes, I've got it. <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> right. It. That's right. It's such a shit job. And, it, and it's funny. It's one mm. of the things that's funny about it is that until you've written it, mm. it's the most impossible thing, and you can never possibly do it. Yeah. And then as soon as you've written it, you think, well, that wasn't so hard. What was what was all that about? You know. And I don't know about you, but my writing process is so quick when it happens. Right. But so slow to get there. So yeah. I have months and months and months of filling notepads and yeah. walking around the house and not being able to do it and all this kind of stuff yeah. and then probably a three-day writing period yeah. so the majority of my working life is with the struggle yeah, <laughs> and very little exactly. of it is with the nice good bit you know <laughs> so. that thing that you describe really beautifully when you talk about writing further and the furthest thing yeah. where this this kind of euphoria of the relaxation yes. of the actual yes. process of writing yes. yeah. yeah three days yeah yeah exactly <laughs> six exactly. months of mulling yeah. agony yeah. and then to, maybe yeah. an hour after you've sent it where you think it's quite good and then and then you know within an hour thinking oh god why did I send that? It's obviously not ready. And, you know, you're back to the bloody neuroses. Yeah, you, can go, you can go an hour without... <laughs> that's pretty good going. That's quite good going. I'm normally kind of like within seconds of send. Press, pressing send, thinking, Jesus. And for me, it's... And it's normally to Mel Kenyon, who yeah. represents both of us. Yeah. It's it, it's normally like, oh, she's read it, she hates it, she can't <laughs> come up, she can't find the language. <laughs> to tell you so, how bad it is. <laughs> exactly. Bad it is. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, you were... Um, 
by this stage, you, you, with further and the furthest thing, it felt from down here yeah. as though you were really established in Edinburgh as part of the small group of brilliant playwrights who were operating at that city. Did you enjoy working in Edinburgh? Did you? Is it a city? Do you enjoy working in Edinburgh as a playwright? Is it a city that you, as a dramatist, you it excites you? Um, yes, I mean, I I enjoy living in Edinburgh right. and Scotland and you know right. that's where I I work I mean I think it's it was a very um sort of nourishing environment to be in I think it was sort yeah. of good soil because yeah. actually um there were a few people that were all doing things that I found interesting there yeah. were directors around that wanted to work with me and and yeah. I felt that because of the other writers David the David Greg David Harrah that we were kind of going oh wow he's done something really great there I have to try and better you know yeah. so we were sort of yeah. aware of what each other were doing and and responding to it yes. so um but I I think I also you know I certainly working with theatres down south as well and and kind of feeding off that i mean i think that what that's sort of what you need as a new writer is to be looking to be inspired by what other people are doing yeah, and also being given the the kind of opportunity to to kind of fail in a way or try yeah, things out right. and whatever but but alongside that this is the bar this is you know theatre yeah. should be really bloody good and let's try and make it good you know let's not yeah. piss about but yeah. but 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 you know so that you're not so that you're able to stretch yourself. So yeah, I mean, I love living in Scotland. I think it's an interesting place to be, and it's a nice place to to, to live and have kids. And mm. uh, and the the theatre community is is small enough to be um, uh, kind of like a, a you know a community that you actually know most people, yeah. which is which is yeah. great. I mean, there's sometimes where so, you sort of think, God, I just need to go and do something somewhere else. Sometimes, yeah. but but equally, it's sort of like. Big village or something. Yeah, I, I always yeah. think of villages that you know. I yeah. always think theatre is a village, and yeah. there is something like in villages. There's something consoling about being able to call on your neighbour. Yes. And say, yes. How did you get that ploughman yeah. thing? Yeah. No, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. You know, yeah. Can we just go and yeah. have a grumble about yeah. how yeah. shit everything? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Or even will you read this and tell me what exactly. you think? Exactly. You know, and exactly. Um, exactly. And then the number of times that David and David Greg and I have sat down. I mean, he did it for me six months ago. I did it for him three months ago. Sit mm. with a play idea that you're stuck and just having somebody who's also a writer to chat it through with, you know, you just... Something gets unblocked, really. And I think there's something about talking to other writers about a, an idea that they they know where you are with it, you know, the, the place that you're at, that yeah. sometimes you just need to sort of say it out loud or they might go, oh, but isn't that your problem? And you go, oh, yeah, of course, that's the problem. What it's is that character doing yeah. in there? They're, you know. I think um, it's brilliant that that, because that's the kind of thing that when you're starting as a kind of late teenager or in your 20s or at university, yeah. it's the kind of thing that one can cherish and the idea yeah. that continues right the way through the professional life, I think, yes. is really yes. galvanising. Yes, yes. The, um, uh, tell me about Nightingale and Chase, just because it's, yes. uh, you know... Yes. A, a, royal a, Court. A, it's a Royal Court debut. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Nightingale and Chase started as a um, commission with Clean Break mm -hmm. and um, so uh, I was really pleased it's that was straight after further. Um, mm. I had always done a bit of kind of work in different community centres and groups. I'd been um, the writing residence at Milestone House HIV AIDS Hospice in Edinburgh. Mm. So I was sort of interested in, in, you know, working with different people's stories and that kind of thing and so Clean Break and I hit it off and, and they sent me to Ascombe Grange um, Open Prison in York uh, to do, mm. I can't remember how many months it was now, maybe mm. three or four months of teaching on a Saturday, so I was working with women uh, and what 
was interesting, I thought, because you, you sort of, you, you don't want to make one person's, you, what you have to try and, what I felt I had to try and do with that commission is somehow make a story that's about a, a collective, what, what I felt the experience was of these women, rather than kind of going, right, I'm going to dramatise your story, but what's sure. the kind of vibe I'm getting of the sure. issues and the things that you're all churning up? Yeah. And in an open prison, the women were coming, some of them were coming, most of them were coming to the end of a long sentence, right. and so they were being rehabilitated in mm. what comes away. And what I felt was that they had, that as you would be, my God, if you were in prison, the release day was this light at the end of the tunnel and that they, mm. everything was about how long there is left in the tunnel before you get to the release mm -hmm. day and that the release day was this kind of blaze of light and glory and they one woman literally sort of told me and I practically quoted her in the play that you know he's going to turn up with a limo and a bottle of champagne and it's all going to be mm. and and then I did a bit of work. I asked Clean Break to set it up because I just thought, okay, that's interesting. I yeah. wonder what actually happens. Yeah. So I then went and did a bit of work with the probation service and, and a, bit, a few days, spent a few weeks in working with women in a hostel. Of course, the reality is it, it certainly isn't that blaze of glory. And, and actually, they, a lot of people come out to a pretty shitty situation. And yeah. if you're lucky enough to get your kids back straight away, you haven't got the benefit, child benefit book that means you've got the food to... I mean, just yeah. crazy, crazy levels of bureaucracy, which yeah. means it's all against you. Yeah. And and the statistics of, you know, those that are likely to reoffend will have done so within the first 48 hours. So within the first 48 hours, it all goes wrong. And so I thought, well, actually, that's the play. The, 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 the drama is in the difference between expectation and, and what happens. Yeah. And I wanted to do it through the kind of crucible of a, a couple. Yeah. But I had a problem because uh, Clean Break only work with women actors mm. and um, I wanted to write I mean now I probably would write for two women but anyway then then I wanted to write for a man and a woman yeah. and and I remember because it was a joint commission with yeah. with um, Royal Court I remember sitting in Graham Wybrow's office literary manager here and saying what do I do mm. I you know I'm starting to write this play it's got a man and a woman in it ah and you know god bless him he, he said well you've got to write the play that you've got to write actually that's and whether or not clean break stage it is up to clean break, to clean break yeah. so he really released me because I was in quite a tangle so I wrote it and I think in the end it was done in association with clean break or something and it was done and it was done here um, and they were they were really gracious and supportive and they loved that play and they used sections of it in a lot of their work and and right. and so the the kind of relationship went on and actually I did some other stuff with them but but yeah so it was all fine but it was it, it's it, they're odd those commissions where you, you you know there's a structure to the commission which often I think is really useful actually but in that one it just I had such a clear sense of the story that needed to be told it's a um, really fascinating tension and I, I yeah. like the idea that writers that the play exists almost at, to use a Scottish word in a very kind of gesture of cultural appropriation out with yes yes there's something you don't have agency or control yeah, over it's yeah. just the play has to be what it has to be yeah, yeah, I yeah. Find very inspiring yeah absolutely. when were you allowed when did when did the, the, the direction police tell you that you were allowed to, to direct, direct. <laughs> so then there was a sort of odd time where I was directing other people's plays right uh, but not directing my own plays. And that was even more curious, because it was like, well, you'll trust me to direct that, but why wouldn't you trust me to do And I think 
I understand it better now, which was that actually, and I should have, you know, actually it was quite a nice thing because really it was because the artistic directors that I was working with wanted to hang on to my plays yeah. and they wanted to do it. Right. So they was weren't prepared the tr- to... Was this the well, there and, and uh, I mean, yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, everywhere, really. And, yeah. and eventually I did. So I was, direct, I was directing for the Tron. I was mm. directing for... Um, uh, 784 in, in Scotland. Oh, great, yeah. And we brought a play down to Soho um, called Guilt, a uh, new play, and um, and it did really well down here. And um, Dominic Cook and I were working on my commission for the RSC, which was midwinter, and we were literally meeting directors. I was meeting Marianne Elliott and various people. This is when um, Dominic was at the RSC. He was at the, so RSC. the RSC, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he came to see Guild, and he sat next to me. And at the end of it, he said, "Well, why aren't you directing Midwinter?" And I was like, "Thank God, thank God, somebody said, why aren't you know?" So, so you then just I did directed. The most beautiful facial impression of Dominic Cook. Though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like that's exactly what Dominic Cook looks like. It's yes. <laughs> a great moment of release, then. So it was a great moment of release, yeah. and and so I d- directed those two. Um, I mean, I haven't been a kind of career director directing. You know, I mean, I've come in and out of it. I've done a lot of of. TV and mm. and and I think that actually writing worked better with small children than directing right. did, particularly as you know yeah. I think as an emerging director, if you get a gig in Coventry, you just have to go and go live in Coventry, Coventry yeah. and you know yeah. that that's sort of hard. Um, so, but 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 it, it remained a sort of presence all the way through my sort of working life, and and now I've got the kind of time and and capacity for it. So did you enjoy sort of, directing Midwinter in comparison to? Having another director direct it, or in comparison to directing other people's plays, I loved directing Midwinter. I mean, Midwinter, Midwinter is a really close. It's a very close play to my heart, uh, and I loved working. Well, it it um, so Midwinter came out of uh, the RSC asked me to go. Maybe maybe you had this. I don't know. They they used to do a scheme where they took four writers down to the other place in the summer yeah. and they would take you to shows and you do workshops during the yeah. day and, and, and I was one of those and mm. it was brilliant, there was amazing stuff in the in the um, uh, the other place there was Richard II that was, you know, so it was really, really mm. good Shakespeare's and, 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 and I had just written um, Further and the Furthest Thing and I heard, and I was pregnant and I heard that week that Further and the Furthest Thing had just won the Peggy Ramsey Award so I was having this kind of mm. brilliant week and I wrote this first scene to Midwinter they, that's right, um, what's his name? Simon Reed, who was the yeah. literary manager said, yeah. I'm going to send you out to observe people and then come back and write a, repl- uh, a, write a scene and I remember thinking, oh, you know, doesn't he know we're writers we observe people all the time but, <laughs> so I went out anyway and I sat outside the yeah. RST and I saw this grandfather and grandson, and there was something about the way the grandfather was with the grandson that, you know, he was unwrapping this ice lolly, and it was just like everything that was special to him about the world was contained mm. in this little patch of ground and this boy. And mm. it was so moving. And I went back to my B&B and I wrote this uh, woman drags on a dead horse. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. But anyway, and then in comes the grandfather and grandson. And yeah. I wrote this scene, and this yeah. scene, you know, just is really... Anyway, so we were in this workshop... And I was 13 weeks pregnant, and unfortunately that week uh, realised that something was wrong with the baby, and I ultimately lost that baby. Uh, so then I had this, and you know, and I just won the Peggy Ramsey Award. Everything was kind of go, 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 and I was sort of internally wrecked. So then I had this really good first scene, and they commissioned me to to write the rest of the play, and I became their writer in residence and all this great stuff. Mm. And I just couldn't get back to 
the place I'd been when I wrote that scene and was happily pregnant and whatever. And it went on for quite a while. So then they would be ringing me up sort of, you know, a year later and sort of saying, you know, how's that play going? And I was just like, and I was trying to write it. And I was, mm. of course, miserable, not not having another child and, and I did lose quite a few pregnancies before uh, eventually being successful. And, and so it went on so long that I would sort of see Simon Reed at functions and have to avoid him because I hadn't managed to write. And I was still really pleased with that first scene, you know, yeah. and it's this problem. Yeah. Anyway, eventually I had my first child, Malachi, and, you know, he was sort of eight months old and, um, and Simon Reed rang me and he said, look, you know, we just want to take the pressure off you. We love that scene, but we want any play from you. So why don't you just, you know, write us a play some point in the next two or three years? And, and you know, and I heard myself say, just give me another fortnight. And that was Monday morning. And by Tuesday lunchtime, I'd written the rest of Midwinter. And when I look at Midwinter now, the whole play is about the child and that little boy in the hearth. And I couldn't get back to that place until I had my baby on my knee, you know. So so it was a very close... It, it's a really important play to me, Midwinter, and, and it was lovely that I was able to direct it and it was my, my breakthrough directing play as well. So there you go. The, um, this series of podcasts, I keep crying in the middle of... <laughs> <laughs> there you really go. When did you start working at St Andrews? Just uh, interested in how teaching affects your work as well. Uh, so um, I'm very part time, and I started extremely part time, but um, I think 2011 or 12, um, and just I mean I love I love teaching. I like actually mainly I like being with young people, right. and as I get older and I feel more and more in despair about. Yeah. What, the fact that I'm with people in their early 20s who are so brilliant and so articulate and so passionate about kind of politics and the way things should be, yeah. I sort of think, OK, well, maybe it's we're not completely and sunk. And despair is a political despair. Yeah, I yeah. think so. And I, I feel, I see in them, I don't know if this is just the students we have, but I feel that there's the opposite of apathy. I think there's there's yeah. really kind of great feeling and, yeah. and energy. Um and also, I'd really like. I think that I think you've identified it well. There is a forensic part of me that really likes being analytical about structure and plays, and and mm. and, um, and. It's empowering so, to have that, right? Yeah. And yeah. makes makes us as generative artists. Yes, that's if right. If we can be an that's analytical, right. it's empowering. Yeah. Empowers our generation yeah, of work. Yeah. yeah. And and I think there is something diagnostic. A student brings you a piece of work, and you kind of go, "Oh well, you know, this is probably what you've where, where you need to." put some attention and then yeah. it will flower and yeah. and it's also just working with people's creativity yeah. you know so uh, you know yeah. certainly with postgraduates I sort of talk about you know how to look after yourself as an artist and that means you know right. be reading be seeing going go to an art gallery go you know yeah. make be, treat yourself as a kind of living organism that's going to function well mm -hmm. as well as just expecting yourself to be able to sure. dredge up stuff all the time sure. so um, so I really like it I mean it's weird to be part of a English department I that's where I do feel my somebody's gonna discover yeah. my holes and I'm gonna you know come a cropper but... St Andrew's got a good collection of locusts anyway <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's like taking you away from that I think you'll be fine and and, and you've written for other forms as well you wrote for yeah, spooks which I did. is exciting yeah. was that did that empower you was that um, useful or illuminating I, or well, frustrating I, or, yeah but all yeah. of those I mean I think yeah. I really like I think probably I I I, quite, I like sort of visual storytelling basically, and yeah. I think I, you know I think there's a lot of that in my plays. I found writing, 
I really like writing for screen. I like the fact that you can be have this sort of interiority with your character that means mm. you can have the moment of your turning point can be while someone is standing at a window peeling a potato and sees something outside. And right. those moments really hard to achieve on you yes. know, you have to orchestrate the action so that everybody's there and yeah. and I just like the freedom of it. Um Sometimes, yeah. I mean, you know, of course, culturally, it's completely different working yeah. for TV. It's so collaborative and you have hundreds of people giving you notes and all that and stuff, mm-hmm. which can sometimes be frustrating, mm-hmm. but can also, you know, be, I mean, there's not... It's, it's you know, the right people, then. It the right really people, the yeah. right, right people. Yeah. So, so I've done, and I'm doing more TV now. Um, so, yes, so good. And good. came back to the Royal Court. Came back to the Royal Court, yes. Vicky yes. Yes. And took over. Yes. A play that I adored. Oh, thank you. Your breath. I thank you. Thank I you. Was extraordinary. Was that? How was that to write? Well, when we were talking about the moment that you feel you've, you're never going to write a play again was just before I wrote that play. Yeah. I, Vicky and yeah. I had worked on a play called The Wheel in Scotland, yeah. and the National Theatre of Scotland. National Theatre of Scotland, and it had been picked up, and Steppenwolf in Chicago had just done a new uh, production with Joan Allen in the lead, and I went over to. Chicago and watched it and I was quite low as a I couldn't really kind of work out what my next move play right it was you know I hadn't written a play well when would that have been so it was 2011 it was on it was 2013 that I went to see it in Chicago and I hadn't written I'd been doing a lot of telly I hadn't really written a play and I was starting to think well and I sat watched it and Tina Landau amazing director I don't know if you know her but she's extraordinary New York director did the most amazing production, and as did Vicky. But but anyway, I was sitting watching Joan, and I just thought, maybe this is it. Maybe this is as, this is my moment, and this is as good as it gets. And I, mm. and I came back to Edinburgh, and I just thought, oh well, you know, that's it now. That's fine. I've had I've had a good innings. And then I just thought, maybe maybe I'll just try. It was about September, and I thought, just maybe before I completely give up, maybe between now and Christmas, I'll just see if that you know. I'm just and whenever I feel really stuck, I do this thing where I just give myself two hours a day and and in those two hours I'll that's all I have to write and just see because it's kind of if you're if you're feeling stuck two hours is long enough that it's you can get into something but it's not so terrifying if it's going badly and what will you be writing you're writing dialogue you're writing notes yeah so I was trying to write a new play and starting the first scene and you know and and sort of did you had you planned have you done your agony of mulling and planning well I was in it I mean I think the agony of mulling and planning involves quite a lot of false starts right um and then suddenly I had How to Hold Your Breath and it just was there. And then I was like, oh, now, now I've got Sorry, another play. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, I'll, maybe I'll just extend that before I give up. But, and then was it nice yeah. to come back? Nice to come back? It was wonderful and it's always brilliant to, to work with Vicky. Yeah. I mean, it was, a, it was a funny time, though, because, you know, the audience loved it and it won awards and, mm. and you know, and has gone really massively into translation and has right. been on... Lots of places, yeah. but but was sort of fairly sort of sniffed at critically. So there was a sort of funny funny thing around it that how was you, kind of. How do you react to that? How is that for you? It, um, I think, I think it was. I think that was a bit tricky then, just because I didn't quite understand why it was being. I, it felt like there was. I think it was the first time I felt that there was a massive disjoint between the audience reception and. Yeah. And the critical reception. I think, you know, we've all had plays that haven't worked and you've kind of gone, actually, yeah, that was fair enough. Or or even plays, you know, and but that time I just sort of thought, God, I'm getting really mixed messages here Mm -hmm. about what what my work should be and what's important to do and all that kind of stuff. Uh 
even if you don't I mean probably I did but even if you don't you know that they're you know you've sort of those friends that you probably don't need who ring you up and say oh how are you doing (laughs) I I read a stinker and you kind of go god did you have to tell me you know we had that with Heisenberg when Heisenberg just got a most kicking and I don't read reviews I really like I can't I I don't read anybody's reviews I don't read reviews of any play and then had a phone call from the assistant director in the morning saying you're all right it's been everybody's really sorry for you Actually, piss off! Yeah, do without that. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it was sort of one of those, and and um, but but and then I would come here, and it would be styled out, and people were queuing for returns, and there was such a buzz about it. So 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 it was it was an odd one, Um, and but you know, I mean, I think you also grow a bit of a skin, and you kind of go, well, I'm not going to, you know, that in a sense. I think particularly if you've been academic and in your early life you kind of believe you're operating in a meritocracy. Mm. But actually we're not. We're, mm. we're operating in a world that has opinions and different sure. things and, and people, you know, bad work people are going to like, good work people are going to not yeah. like. You know, I mean, just yeah. there isn't there isn't that. And so one it's has to be... to measure merit in That's right, that's right, that's right. measure it. So you yeah. start to trust the voices that you trust, yeah. and and you know be proud of yourself for the things you can be proud of, and and move on to 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 other things. And, and that you know, extraordinary moment in the international festival of two thousand seventeen. Yes, 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 is, yeah, it was you, wonderful. Did you allow yourself a moment where you acknowledge <laughs> the three feathers in your hair? Yeah, I, 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 I mean, it was it was also wild though because I had three shows in rehearsal. <laughs> it must have been knackered. And they were all so one was rehearsing in Glasgow, so yeah. that kind of got, didn't get too much attention from me. But the other two were in Edinburgh. The Travis and the Lyceum are next door to each other, so you'd imagine that would be easy. But the Travis were rehearsing three miles away down in Leith, and no somewhere that you couldn't park. So I was sort of cycling up and down <laughs> Leith Walk. All, uh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> And, you know, but it was, but it kind of also made me sort of think, well, what is it that these productions need from me? Because I can't be there all the time. And yeah. I think there's something about being a writer in a room yeah. where you have to work out how you can best serve the process without getting in the way. And actually, being able to be there less made that really clear yeah, that exactly. I can come in as a creative friend tell you what it looks like from yeah. the outside yeah. and help you if there's little yeah. tricky bits and then bog off again and you is, know and, are you a good writer in the rehearsal room having been an award-winning director uh, I think <laughs> well I think I am now I yeah. think I think I had to learn how to be a writer in the room yeah. and I think that that you know and certainly it's something I talk to to writers about when they're going into their first production about what, what how they can be helpful you yeah. know because if you're sitting there thinking, oh, it's not how I imagined it, you're not going to be helpful. You, you need to be thinking right, about, exactly. is this telling the story? Yeah. And yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I don't know. So, so yeah, so I, I hope I'm a good writer in the room. I'm, a, I'm certainly a lot better than I used to be. And and I think also, you, you as time goes on, you work with the same people. Yeah. You work with people you know before, so you know how to, you know, if I'm in a room with Vicky, she and I know how we operate around each other when she needs me, when she doesn't, you know, and all and that kind of does stuff. Does it work in the inverse if you're directing somebody's play? I know I read you yes. saying that you... You were glad that Carol Churchill wasn't able to be in the room. Yes, yes. So that was also quite interesting because I, I mean, that's partly because of my huge respect for Carol. Yeah. Realising how intimidated one would be if one had to kind of... But there was a day where we were really stuck. The two actors felt that the scene, this moment of the scene meant a different thing right. and we had to navigate around it and we had to kind of find out and it was all based on sort of one line and yeah. it was hard to find out what the what the truth of this was and we had about four hours where we had to go at it about 12 different times and we got there 
But if you'd had a writer sitting there, you know, I mean, part, maybe they could have got us there, but but you certainly wouldn't have, you know, I don't know. You, it was wouldn't, a sort have been, of, you wouldn't have felt the, the, the space to, to mess around with it and explore right. it. Or be wrong. You know, yeah. I had to be wrong 11 times yeah. before we, we were right yeah. the 12th time. And, really and I think sometimes what happens when, when productions don't go right is that the director is not allowed the space to be creative and feels they have to fi- come to a solution before yeah. they come to the right one. Yeah. And so a decision is made, but it's not the right decision and, it, and it's never gone back on. And, yeah. and so understanding that the main thing that, that a director that you're working with needs is the space to do that. Mm. You know, and if you can give the space by being present and just letting them get on with it, that's fine. But more often it's about literally giving them the space and, and coming back in when you're when you're able to be when when it's helpful you know do you have a uh, an average working day uh, i suppose if i'm writing i try to work the school day because i've still yeah. got primary school age it's child. quite nice actually isn't it it's yeah nice. and so sort of, i mean i'm done but i'd also give the morning probably the writing tasks and sort of admin tasks i'd do after about two or three so i'd probably work maybe I need, to, I need to learn to do that. Yeah. Do the emails at the end of the day. Absolutely, not the start of the day, absolutely. No, that's right. That's right. And you give your the best hours of the day. Yeah. To the emails. To which the is emails. Terrible. Exactly. Level. So I don't really turn on my emails or do that stuff till after lunch. Yeah. 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 And that's. Um, and yeah. just finally, I love talking to you. I could do another hour. <laughs> yeah. And there's so many gaps, so many things we've yeah. not talked about. For yeah. which I apologise. Yeah. Um, what's theatre for for you? What do you? What keeps um, bringing you back? You said a couple of times in interviews that you're a theatre animal. Yeah. And I think of you at Oxford when you should be you should be running after the locusts, <laughs> trying to get them back in. But instead, you were doing, you were working in the churches with John, making musical theatre adaptations of yeah, <laughs> crazy what things. What is it about theatre that's bringing you back? Um, what is it? Uh, I think that you're bringing someone into an experience, aren't you? So we're all collectively sort of having that experience. But but what I like. I mean, I don't know that. I'm not sure that I can answer that in a single thing. But sure. one of the things that that I like is taking something that we think we know, and and doing something different with it. So yeah. I mean, that's why I returned to the classics. And yeah. you know, we didn't talk about this restless house, but oh my God, we didn't. but 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 you know, what can I we wanted do another to hour? Well, <laughs> what I wanted to do there is go. You know, we've got a notion of Clytemnestra, yeah. but let me actually unpack this a bit and 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 put her as a woman a bit more like me, and 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 see how that sits yeah, within this story. So, so it's sort of brilliant. something about asking the audience to revisit something that they think they know, and and also, I mean, you know, to be theatrical, to 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 find a way that you're talking in imagery and metaphor yeah. and symbols and. Is that, is that an answer? That was a bit of a rubbish. Is that an answer? Right. Okay, I all really right. I wish I'd remembered your actual full name. I didn't have to call you Cindy Harris. But Cindy I'm glad Harris. you've forgotten. <laughs> Thank you very, no, it's very much indeed. All right, so questions from producer Ruth. So, what have you got for us, Moosh? Uh, well, no, first off, I just um, inaccuracies in the introduction. What? <laughs> <laughs> so. Fall of the Master Builder was at Leeds Playhouse, not oh, Sheffield. Shit. I'm and really sorry. I'm really sorry. But if you, just put, really... if you just said Leeds, you could slot in the word. No, it's all right. It's all right. I think this I deserve the, the humiliation. Now. And then um, <laughs> How to Hold Your Breath yeah. was 2015, <laughs> not 2016. No! <laughs> yeah. That's terrible. That means. And being that's, honest. That's about ageing. That's yeah, about the aging. only reason I know this. 
Because it's Zilly told us. But my notes were. Yeah, go on. Um, actually, this was one of the hardest ones ever. So normally, what happens is if something is slightly unknown, I very quickly look on Google and get the answer. She never listens to anything that anybody's uh, saying. She's up. just on her phone all no, the time. But this <laughs> one, I couldn't almost crack. And I, because obviously I didn't want to be on my phone the whole time, but they did crack it right Come on! End. So basically, I could, I just couldn't work out what that time travel novel was, but I found it. Yes. Um, let's go and to it Golgotha. Was Gary, uh, Gary Kill work, and it's Let's Go to Golgotha. Golgotha. Yeah, that's what she said. Oh. Oh, that's no, so weird. Did you say you Gary? Correct me, 2015 to 16. She actually Did said that. Did I say that. Kilworth yeah. instead of? Yeah, maybe. Oh, All right, well, there, there we you go. go. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I might have got that wrong, actually. No, it's good. No, but that, yeah, 1975. And then I wondered, because you ended up probably studying cockroaches more than locusts because they flew off. <laughs> yes. That, um, <laughs> is it true, really, that they were the only things that would survive a nuclear Good question. And you know, you expect me to know the answer? Yeah. <laughs> no, there's a thing called tardigrades that are really weird, and they're like they're like even pre-insect things, and they've been there since the beginning. They've survived all the mass extinctions, and they will take over the world when we've gone. And what are they called again? Tardigrades. That is the best answer to a question from producer Anushka that we've ever had. Silly, <laughs> thanks, mate. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Royal Court Theatre Playwrights Podcast. If you'd like to listen to more, make sure you subscribe at royalcourttheatre.com or iTunes to get the next episode. You can purchase many of the plays discussed at royalcourttheatre.com forward slash shop. The Playwrights Podcast is brought to you by the Royal Court Theatre, presented by me, Simon Stevens, produced by Anushka Warden and Emily Legg. <laughs>